Welcome to it, welcome to it. It is 3 o'clock on a Monday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with our most recent graduate, my guy, Matt Raftery. Matt, what's going on, big dog? Not much, man. Living the dream. Did it smell different when you woke up? It was nice knowing the, that I had the option to go back to sleep. <laughs> I didn't have to be up for anything. I can't wait till next semester starts and you walk on campus and you don't have to be here. That's right. That's going to be a beautiful feeling. That's going to be a beautiful feeling. I can't wait for it. But again, welcome to it, guys. This is our Monday episode of Talk That Talk, the Talk That Talk radio show. I'm your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy, Matthew Raftery. Matt and I, we got two hours for you guys. We got some local news to get to, some big Vegas Golden Night news to get to. It has nothing to do with the playoffs, obviously, since the team didn't make the postseason. But that means that you guys probably already know what this offseason news is, especially considering that we are, what, into the second round of the postseason now in the NHL. We'll get to that in the second hour. We got basketball ruling the first hour. We got basketball all over the nation, actually. I wasn't going to say the country, but we got basketball all over the nation to get to. Before we do that, we want to give you guys our social medias. If you guys are following us right now on uh, Facebook, we guys are watching right now on Facebook on our a live stream. We appreciate you. We appreciate you. Um, and if you aren't, you guys can go ahead and follow that along with our Instagram, along with our SoundCloud. Anywhere else you guys want to find us, you guys can find us at Talk That Talk Radio Show. Once again, you guys can find us at Talk That Talk Radio Show. The one thing I did not mention was Twitter, and that's because that handle is at Talk That Talk LV. Once again, that Twitter is at Talk That Talk LV. Matt, let's hop right into it, man. Um, we got my mom's tip in to get to. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to kind of start the show with other than the tip in and then riding the basketball? I'm good. No. Yeah, I'm good. Let's knock it out. My mom's tipping. I like this one a lot, considering, especially considering the conversation we just had off mic. But my mom's tipping from today, for today rather, is from Frank L. Gaines. And the tip in reads as follows Only he who can see the invisible can do the impossible. Once again, that tip in is Only he who can see the invisible can do the impossible. I think it's pretty applicable in a couple of different places. But nevertheless, we'll get to that. I actually, Matt and I already went down and kind of broke down my dad's tip in for today. I'm not really sure where I'm going to bring it in. Maybe I'll end the show with it. It's a perfect kind of closer. But um, we're, we're, we're going to actually start with some basketball, and we're going to start over in Greece. Uh, game six of the A1 finals took place on Sunday. And shout out to Sequoia Holmes. She sent me the link. And... I admit, I had the times mixed up. I was thinking that, and you know what's funny? It's funny how basketball is universal in a couple of different ways. And I watched Sequoia put on Instagram um, a bunch of moments where she was drawing charges and just defensive slides and just different moments. And uh, the hashtag was must win game six. And 
I was just like, oh man, like there, it's it's impossible to not get excited when hearing that. No matter what league you're in, no matter where you are in the world, and when I said it was universal, it was because I was expecting these seven a.m. starts for myself because you know we we understand what the final what the final what the final schedule is like. Um, whether it's the NBA, whether it's A one at this present moment, where it, it's pretty universal. And then we had the Sunday game. And if you guys follow the NBA Finals, you guys understand that the Sunday game has moved up a little bit. Maybe it's an hour earlier. Um, same thing in this one. I believe it's two hours earlier in this particular case. And um, I did catch the latter end of it. But unfortunately, Panathinaikos was dropped Oh, out of the, the A1 Finals. They have officially been eliminated in six games. They dropped this last one 87-79. to 79. Keep in mind, before we actually get into the specifics of this game, they came into this finals down 2-0. Let's start there, right? They came into this finals down 2-0. They lost both regular season games to Pan or to Olympiacos before winning the first two official games of the A1 Finals. Um, however, you mentioned something at the end of game five, and actually the start of game five, and you kind of alluded to those two wins taking a lot out of them. What did you see in game five? And it, it kind of trickled into game six, apparently. Yeah, I mean, getting to watch a, probably the good majority of game five, particularly in the first half, they looked like they ran out of gas, that they had used up everything they had had in the first two games, and that, you know, Olympiacos, you could tell – they were the team that was kind of keeping pace better. They they were managing, you know, their stamina a little bit better. They had a little bit better endurance for the for the whole game, for that matter, because uh, they, you know, Panathinaikos in the second half really didn't make up a whole lot of ground, if any. Um, and, you know, I, we've had those types of conversations before on the show when we're talking about, you know, stuff like the Lady Rebels. They were really good at this, where they knew they don't have to beat you in the first or second quarter they're going to really beat you in the fourth when right. everybody else they're playing is running out of gas and they're just turning it on. And that kind of that's kind of how it felt here in game five where, you know, Panathinaikos, they came out pretty flat to start, and Olympiacos, they just kept, you know, playing at a steady pace. They didn't really try to um, over, you know, exaggerate or overexert themselves too much in any really one area. They just kind of kept it steady along and um, just kept, you know, taking it possession by possession at a time, just, you know, Olympiacos doesn't score, or Panathinaikos doesn't score, Olympiacos does, and just kind of keeping that, you know, steady pace. There there didn't seem to be a whole lot of urgency out of Olympiacos, um, which is usually, it's a good thing um, if you're a, a coach and you're trying to manage that, that stamina level. Right. Um, you usually don't want to see your team, you know, play with too much urgency too fast because – uh, then you might, you know, that energy that you might need later on in the game might not necessarily be there. So, Absolutely. Um, it felt like it felt like Panathinaikos was really trying to throw the kitchen sink at them, um, particularly coming into the series when they already knew they were down 2-0. Mm -hmm. they, they knew they had to make something happen. And um, quite frankly, I think Olympiacos kind of was just playing the long game. Um, the best way I can put it is like, um, kind of watching like a Floyd Mayweather fight. Um, Floyd's not going to necessarily beat you around in the first five to six rounds of the fight. It's round seven, eight, nine, and ten when Floyd's opponent starts to wear down and get tired. That he start that Floyd starts moving in and ending the fight. Um, that's kind of how this felt. If you're looking at it from the perspective of Olympiacos, is the a they come in already up 2-0, and they're not really worried about the first two games of the 
uh, of the series. Granted, yes, they probably want to win them, but they know, worst case scenario, we're back to tie at 2-2. And we know that we're getting everything thrown at us from Panathinaikos. So, granted, I mean, again, you want to win as many games as you can, but sometimes in basketball, like whether personnel want to, you know, players or coaches want to admit it, a lot of times you are playing the long game and you're looking at the bigger picture and you're kind of planning for that um, without, I guess, giving it away too much. Matt, that that reference to Olympiacos playing a long game, that was the perfect, a perfect representation of what I saw. Uh, It was a wire to wire win in this in this game six. And I haven't talked to Sequoia just yet um, for obvious reasons and. The, the interesting thing is I feel like we're going to have one conversation about this, if any, and then it's on to whatever whatever we're on to. But just to kind of put it into perspective, I want to give you guys a couple of statistics from this most, pre- from this most recent game, um, and then we'll get into some, some season stats. But looking at this wire-to-wire loss for Panathinaikos, they were outshot, and this is in terms of percentage, 64% to 40% from three. We talked about it at the end of game five. I believe uh, Olympiacos shot 55% from three, while Olympiacos, or Panathinaikos uh, rather, shot around 24, 25%, somewhere around there. It's it, it's hard to obviously work through offensive lows, right, and things of that nature. But the one thing that you always, especially hearing from Sequoia, the one thing you always can't control is defense and being able to – uh, stop your opponent from scoring on the other end. It's kind of hard to to make up any ground when you're giving up 64% of the long ball on one end and you can't score on the opposite end. It's also going to be difficult when you can't rebound. Olympiacos won this rebounding battle by plus 13. They won this rebounding battle 35-22 to 22 in this championship-clinching game. Fiona Fitzgerald led the way with 22 points, 7 assists, 5 rebounds, all-around game for her. Chastity Reed was limited to 13 points on 4 of 10 shooting. I want to talk about Chastity Reed for a brief moment for a couple of different reasons, but um, we have to credit Olympiacos for the defense that they played on her. Um, We've seen games even where Panathinaikos may struggle as a whole, right, offensively. Chastity Reed may be the one person that doesn't. And it's been pretty consistent, especially through the early part of the season. But to give you guys an idea of why this, aside from Panathinaikos and Olympiacos being bitter rivals, why this particular um, loss, of course, the game and the series as a whole hurts a little more, is because Panathinaikos this season, if you're including the postseason and the regular season, they went 18-4. and all four of their losses came to Olympiacos. Olympiacos, on the other hand, they went 20 and 2. Panathinaikos was the only team to beat Olympiacos this year. Is it too early to put your bid in for what you want to see next year in the A1 finals? I mean, numbers like that, I think, presuming. Most, if not all, come back on both sides. I mean, we could be looking at kind of a Golden State Cleveland type of situation where these teams are going to meet up in the finals for a few years now to come. I'm going to Greece. If that's the case, I'm going to one. Kevin Durant scared me with the apocalypse suite, yeah. but <laughs> Matt, you're not going? No. <laughs> they might literally burn the building down during the game. Fam? <laughs> I think that actually is like encouraged 
during the game. Like that's the that's the scariest thing for me. But let's 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 go ahead and highlight still give some flowers to Chastity Reed. Chastity Reed was named the forward of the year by Eurobasket.com, the all Greek league. Excuse me, the all Greek. That I just say Greek, and I just mix the words again. The all Greek league awards for 2022 have gone up this year. I mean, uh, today rather. And Chastity Reed was named once again the forward of the year. In addition to that, she made the first team. She was also named the import player of the year. Fiona Fitzgerald, who actually led the way in that, um, what was that, the, I guess, season finale, overall season finale um, against Olympiaco. She led the way with that 22.7 assists and five rebounds. She was actually named co-newcomer of the year. She actually splits that award with somebody from Olympiacos. I don't know how who gets the hardware in that sense but let's also talk about some of those um the rest of those teams rather the all league teams you had olympiacos have members on well, actually two members on uh the all defensive team three members on the all defensive team they had one make the all third team and one make the all second team the all third team was our very own sequoia home shout out to sequoia um again like we said before man we, we've talked to sequoia kind of all season long even with this with this host of awards right and and honestly we could even keep scrolling i'm sure that there's still more awards for for players from panathinaikos in this um in this press release but sequoia let us know early right she let us know pretty early that they were trying not to look ahead but she kind of let us know in the best way possible they were looking ahead and they knew that they were going to get Olympiacos barring anything uh kind of tragic it seems like in terms of what the the basketball world wanted out there they got what they wanted it didn't go in their favor um but that kind of just just gives you a little bit of an insight into what the season was all year long and your reference to Golden State and Cleveland and their what was that four straight NBA finals we, we, we gave you guys their overall, I guess the champions, their most recent champions in terms of this league. And before this most recent championship, it was the last six went to this group. Or the last seven maybe went to this group, but Panathinaikos only had one. And that was last season's title. Olympiacos reclaims the title this year. I don't know, man. I can't wait to talk to Square. Oh, yeah. Real quick, before we move on, how do you deal with season-ending losses when asking questions? Like, obviously, if it's a press conference, it's a little different. But if it's somebody that you know personally, like, how do you deal with it? Um, I think you uh, – for one, I think um, what I've, I've learned is to kind of give them their, their space and their time. Um, you know, I, I'll say this much, um, and even covering the team this past season, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, we definitely got a more – Raw UNLV Lady Rebels directly after the game for sure. Um, and then we, you know, had the chance to chat, uh, chat with Lindy. Maybe it was that four or five days after the game. Um, and she, you, you could tell she kind of had a chance to take a deep breath and kind of decompress from everything and um, kind of give us more of those um, pointed answers with a lot more detail behind them for sure. Um, she referenced her 30,000-foot question again, by the way, four days later, because she was like, I've had time to actually ascend and kind of get to look at it from that 30,000-foot view. Because at first, she was like, man, I don't know if I have the answer for you. Yeah, uh, which, I mean, hey, I'll, I'll take the responsibility for it. I mean, that may have been a – again, it's one of those that, you know, even – I think as, as media members, sometimes we get a little too tunnel-locked mm -hmm. where we're just kind of like, I got to ask this question – 
and then realizing time and place. Um, not to say that it was necessarily a bad question, but no, that was a great question. But given the circumstances, looking back on it, probably I mean it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been a question that absolutely had to get answered right then and there. Could have absolutely waited a little bit of, down the road. But beside the point. You got a great quote from it. I, I know. know. I know. I don't know, I know, man. I don't know. That um, question needs to be asked by more people. Yeah. Um, but just a, a lot of times for me, it's feeling out the room mm-hmm. and feeling out who I'm talking to, who I'm asking the questions to, uh, because I think a lot of people are different. And you, especially when you're part of a beat for a team, um, you know, for a season, you know, unless the team goes – literally undefeated and doesn't experience a game where they lose, um, you're going to be able to see how different personnel react to different losses. Um, I mean, I I remember, you know, the first season that I gotten, you know, the chance to cover the Aces for a few games. um, (laughs) This was back before COVID, so Mm -hmm. we had the locker room interviews. Right. um, Which were always cool. And, you know, you'd have Bill, he'd come up, he'd do his spiel, all right, and they open up the locker room a couple minutes later, and then you go in and you ask you know, you go up to the player. If they have a question, you ask them. And I'll never forget, uh, you didn't even really have to ask. Um, you kind of knew if the team lost, depending on how this player played, you may want to have steered clear of Liz Cambage, only because you probably weren't going to get a great interview out of her. Like, right. you, it was probably going to be a very Belichick-like interview, very short, not very elaborative um, but then there would be other players on the team that would, you know, win, lose, or draw. They, they'd stand there and they'd give you the answer and the breakdown. Like, you know, I like to use the, the example all the time. And I think given this past week, an even better example, Asia Wilson. For um, sure. For you know, sure. Asia was one of those I knew. If nothing else, I can go up to Asia, ask her some questions about the game. And, you know, she's going to sit in there and she's going to give you the, the answers um, she's not going to be like too short with you in a sense. She's going to, you know, elaborate when needed. Right. Um, and you know, definitely after they win, you definitely want to ask Asia some questions because she, she, she's definitely in a good mood after that. Oh, for sure. Um, but even in losses, like she, it, it felt like, you know, of the team personnel, Asia felt like the most even keeled and level headed because she didn't really let the highs of high get to her, but necessarily the lows of lows. It kind of just stayed flatline. And so, um, I mean, kind of a long-winded, and you know, answer to what you asked. Mm-hmm. I feel like it it all depends on who you ask and what time you're asking it at. So I'm I'm guessing when you when you lean towards Asia and you say that she never gets too high, never gets too low. Sounds like a leader. Very much so. I think. Oh, I mean, I think sounds like a team captain to me. If you are standing there, even if you're not an Aces fan, you're not a part of the organization, not a media member, anything like that. If you don't really know much about the Aces, and you just mentioned the team, the word Las Vegas Aces or the mm-hmm. phrase. I'm pretty sure Asia Wilson's one of the first faces that comes to mind. Yeah, man. I, I mean, former league MVP, right? And we're going to get to some more hardware that it, that it appears that she's actually in pursuit of as we speak. But I've said it before. I haven't covered every team in the world, right? I haven't been around every superstar in the world, but God bless the dead. I have been around Kobe Bryant. Um, have been around LeBron James. And I know that I know that it's it's a lot that comes with being a superstar, obviously. But in the superstars that I've been around, 
I don't know of a more approachable down to earth superstar than Asia Wilson. And for that, I think Vegas may want to hold on to that because the moment that another city gets a glimpse of that, I don't know, man. It's just in my mind, we talked about it before. If you're a franchise owner, I know one that's never getting away from me. I can I will deal with fans being upset with some other un unfavorable moves. I could tell you one that would never be in another jersey. We saw the viral video of Asia last week after their game against Atlanta. Hey, man. That's all you need to see. Speaking of it, let's talk about the game against Atlanta really quick because it was a 23-point win. It was 96-73 to was the final. The Aces improved to 3-1 and one on the year. Matt, you weren't in that viral – in that viral. You weren't in that um, virtual press conference following the game. However, everybody mentioned Washington about two or three times apiece. And following the game, Becky Hammond, of course, did her regularly scheduled post-conference or post-game press conference. Then it was followed by Raquana Williams. Then it was followed by Chelsea Gray and then Kelsey Plum. Now, all of them mentioned Washington and mentioned how they weren't happy with the third quarter, the th excuse me, the third quarter start in Washington. Now, I will admit I like this approach a little better than the fatigue approach, only because it can be true. But I've told you guys how I was raised. Whether my dad was right, wrong, or indifferent, my dad would tell me nobody cares work harder. Everybody has a story. You can use that story to stop you, or you can use that story to fuel you. You pick one. I'm not telling you which one to pick, but pick it. And it's just the way that it shaped me. So I believe every single thing that Asia Wilson and Kelsey Plum said about the fatigue, but I like this post-game presser better for one reason and one reason only. They keep referencing that loss. They kept the receipts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they win this game by 23, and everything that comes out of everybody's mouth is we shouldn't have let that last one go. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to get to what eventually will be the second meeting between Washington and, um, pardon, and the Aces. Actually, let's get to it right now. We're not getting to the next meeting per se, but I want to get to why it's going to be important. As of right now, those three teams that I just mentioned, the Las Vegas Aces, the Washington Mystics, and the Atlanta Dream, are all tied for first in the league with a three and one record. Yeah, man. I think I I texted you after the Washington game. Yep. And I said the Aces have met adversity. Mm hmm. They got over that adversity rather quickly uh, as they came out and they obviously door stomped Atlanta a couple yes. nights later just to remind everybody that they weren't going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> Um, in very Becky Hammond like fashion, by the way. Um, sure. but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I thought the team would kind of play similar to how they had played the first two games and even against Atlanta. I thought we were going to see a lot of that same against Washington. Yep. Um, you know, I, 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 I saw I, it for two quarters. Yeah. And I think we, um, you know, somebody, on, I think it was uh, William Ramirez from the Associated Press on Twitter, he, you know, posted, you know, um, you know, the Aces, they're going to be going against Washington. They're missing, I think at the time they were missing their two, one of their two best players. Raquana Williams was out of the game. Yep. And, um, oh, you mean Washington? Washington was. Washington, yeah, they were missing Natasha Cloud yep. and I'm missing one. Sorry, guys. I know it's, if I saw the name, I'd, I'd be able to point to it. But, Absolutely. Um, 
But he said, you know, surprisingly, the line hasn't changed on the game. You know, I think that at the time the Aces were favored by four and a half, something like that. Uh, you did. You text me about that one, too, as well. And um, I thought, huh, that's interesting. So Washington is basically just down to Elena Deladon. They're missing some other key players, and the Aces have come in to this game at the time winning both games by double digits. Yes. Something doesn't add up here. And sure, you could accredit, you know, playing late on Sunday night, then having to turn around and travel cross country the next day for, you know, a a day, you know, basically on one day's travel, they play on Sunday, then on Tuesday, so you travel Monday, stuff like that. And I thought, yeah, maybe, but I mean, this is professional sports, right? Like, that's just kind of part of the business, and... I was wrong. <laughs> I, I I really thought that the Aces should come in here and, you know, it might be closer than people think. You, you know, Aces might win in the neighborhood of 8, 9, or 10, but, I mean, I can't be that close, and I was wrong. And it's just one of those that we kind of talked about this before the season started, that right. we they were going to have at least one of these games where you just looked at the, looked at it at the end of the day and you went, How? Because it, it just did, it wasn't supposed to happen. Right. But, you know, maybe part of it's working through some more of those kinks. Um, maybe it's, you know, the fact that, you know, it's still an Aces team that's going through it with a first year head coach and Becky Hammond. And they're going through it. Albeit they're still three and one and tie for first. So and this is the this is the problem, right? So before the season started, and I'm gonna keep saying that because yes, it was the pregame to the season opener. Don't care. Season hadn't started yet. I asked Becky Ham and I said, Well, coach, we see teams struggle with new coaches in their first year. It yep. always happens, yep. right? And unless you're David Black. And it's like it didn't happen until the NBA finals. But regardless of the fact, you expect some type of trouble. Some type of storm of brewing, right? And I loved Becky's response. Because my, my question actually ultimately ended up being, um, how are you going to handle that when it comes? And you've been around this group, but are you, do you think they're ready to kind of deal with it if it comes? This is a group that's had a lot of success. And she said that she's ready for it. Like, she accepted it. She kind of encouraged it. And I'm not even sure if she may have said it uh, directly verbatim, but she may have said that she would rather have it earlier than later. And I don't think anybody in their right mind would want it later in the season. You want to be playing your best ball toward the end of the season. But she admitted that this first month would probably be the the brunt of the hiccups for this particular new group. And as you said before, I think we have seen them. And they're three and one. Like, so you kind of have to make that kind of kind of take that for what it is. Obviously, there's still more to be seen. Right. But I do think it's not at least for me. It doesn't go unnoticed. This team has played one home game. They played one home game. They're two and one on the road. I don't know, man. Speaking of home, they got a four game homestand starting up tomorrow. Matt, they're back in action tomorrow. Matt's going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're going to make sure that we can check out the Phoenix Mercury and the Las Vegas Aces the first time. In the house since last season's postseason run. I'm going to be honest, man. And this is something that, as you said before, when um, I guess I asked that question to you earlier about interviewing players after losses, and I never really gave you my uh, personal opinion. Um, Like you said, pressers are different. (laughs) Pressers, I got to get my questions out. This is the way that it is. If I know you personally, 
I give you some time. I give you some time because I know how I am. And granted, no disrespect to this franchise by or this organized program, I should say, but I would hit Chuck Charles Williams after a loss for UNLV because, with all due respect, they weren't really playing for much. So it's a little different if Chuck hit a milestone and it's in a 30-point loss. It's a little different. So those are a little kind of direct, but that's why, as I said before, I haven't hit Sequoia because I was that type of player. The, the moment, the game, it could be a regular season game, whatever, cool, fine, I don't care. We, we, we could talk, but if, if our season is over, don't hit me. <laughs> like we'll talk, we'll talk soon. Don't hit me right now. So that's one of the reasons why I haven't hit up Sequoia. But going back to this uh, Phoenix and Aces matchup is going back to in terms of this year. You can go back to one particular game already that these two teams have played. They played on opening night. It was an 18 point win for the Las Vegas Aces. The Erica Hamby led the way with 24 points. That was a game that Ace that Asia Wilson only attempted eight field goals. Let's talk about that for a second because Kelsey Plum, after the game, she went ahead and and we can talk about Kelsey for a brief moment too. Uh, she went ahead after the game and said, "Let's let's start the campaign now, people." Asia Wilson for Defensive Player of the Year. You know what? And this is gonna sound crazy, but obviously we know what she said, right? Asia Wilson for Defensive Player of the Year. Do you know what I heard? The league is not going to award anybody on this team an MVP award. So we're going to clean up everywhere else. That's what I heard. So with that said, let's talk about the conversation that was had about Kelsey Plum. Oh, let me go ahead and give you guys one statistic about Asia Wilson while mentioning her defense. Out of these four games that she has played, two of those games she's posted five blocks. One of those games she's posted four and in the lone game that she did not post four or more blocks, it was against the Phoenix Mercury. She had one block. Sounds like defensive player of the year numbers to me. But, I mean, I, what do I know? We'll, we'll see. And, obviously, you need to get a little feisty with the hands, too, on the dribble. I feel like you need a, you need to add a steal in there, maybe, maybe even a .7, .8. You need to hover around a steal a game. So, Asia Wilson is obviously making an argument. Making an argument to possibly be a defensive player of the year this year. But, the conversation about Kelsey Plum has – we talked about it on Media Day, and I've kind of come in – I came in the day after Media Day and kind of shied away from Kelsey Plum because I feel like the city was talking about Kelsey. With all due respect to Kelsey, she deserves it. So I wanted to take a different angle. But now it's our opportunity to talk about Kelsey Plum. But Willie Ramirez from the AP uh, asked everybody the same question, and he got to Kelsey and kind of said, well, now I just need kind of your opinion. But he mentioned what Becky Hammond said prior to the season and about how – um, she's ready to be the, the the toughest guard to defend in the league. And Becky said the reason why she said that is because the one thing that she needed to change was her willingness to pass. She said the moment that she does that, she said teams can't blitz you because now they blitz you and they know that you're still going to try to find a way to score. Or you're going to almost last-ditch effort, almost passed the ball out. And her whole thing was you kind of start getting the ball out quicker and, you know what I mean, start making these decisions faster. And Kelsey Plum alluded to it afterwards. She said early in the season uh, the difference with Becky Hammond was it would be pass or shot. And she said a lot of times, every time she would come down the floor, she would do one of them. And as she's coming back down, Becky let her know that's a pass. 
that one that you just passed there, that was a shot. And she said at the end of the day, she feels like that is what Becky told her is going to set her apart. And she said that she's, she said she wants it. She said she's so ready for it. She said that this is her fifth year in the league, and she said that it's, it's, it's time. She also followed it up by saying that she wants it. She wants it so freaking bad. She didn't say freaking, but I did um, catch that clip. Yeah, I, you know I could send it to you, but I caught it. Yeah. Oh, you sure. caught it. Yeah. No, I think Willie had reposted it. Not I, Willie. Thank you that you did that because I was hoping somebody did the justice of actually posting the what's it called? Yep. Because this is the beauty, the actual clip. Because this is the beauty of um, running this media company, right? Because we run certain things by we're running or we're, we're building our style guide as we go. And I remember a long time ago. I, I didn't like now if it's somebody going off and it's a rant, you do gotta throw in some expletives, you know, some 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 brackets, just kinda let people know. But certain times I feel like you just gotta let the word be what it is. And I left Kelsey's quote how it was. I typed it and just stared at it for a minute and was like, now that's what she said. Like, I'm going to let it be what it is. But nevertheless, Kelsey Plum is obviously headed towards something great this year. She ended last game against Atlanta with a season-high 11 assists. You want to talk about another guard really quick? Let's do it. Let's talk about Jackie Young really quick. Let's talk about Jackie Young. Jackie is – I'm going to be honest with you. I've covered the Aces for two seasons now. Two seasons now, I believe. And I have spoken to Jackie maybe twice. And it's just like now that I think about it, I'm going to find a reason to talk to Jackie now. <laughs> like, I just don't talk to her. And that's just the approach that she has to the game of basketball is head down work. And I think Kelsey Plum had a very, very valid argument about her. She said with as much as she's done on the offensive end this year, she has the toughest guard on the other end. So to start the season, she had Diana Taurasi. Then she had Sue Bird. Like, I mean, you think about what Jackie is asked to do on both ends of the floor – and it shouldn't surprise you guys that the Aces locked her up for two more years. Matt, let's be honest real quick, man. Um, I had a I don't even know if the clip went out, but I had a clip when I was doing a show with Duna, and it's gonna sound crazy, but I mean it. The WNBA, aside from the product on the floor, has given us every reason not to root for the league. Everyone. I say that to, to get into this next point, and Matt, I could just be throwing stuff at a wall, and that's cool. I'll take it. Do you like that when news breaks about contracts in the WNBA that the dollar amount isn't attached to it? No. Why? If we're going to talk about how many, how much... NBA players are making when they sign contracts or NFL players or MLB players or even NHL for that matter. Hmm. At the end of the day, like I said, this is still professional sports. Whether, you know, Yes, it's the WNBA. The only difference is this is a league for women. The NBA is a league for men. They play the same game. They play with the same rules, essentially. Um, I mean, they're, they're playing with the same principles at hand. Right. I don't know why... For now, decades and generations, we've always treated the WNBA so differently. And it's just looked at differently for whatever reason. 
I don't out, have an answer for you either. Outside of the only argument that people have made to me is that the NBA generates more money. That's great. Cool. No, but see, here's okay. I'll take that argument. That doesn't change what I asked, though. Exactly. Because the only Becky, it happened with Becky Hammond's contract as well. It came out that she signed for five years. She was the GM. It would exceed a million dollars. Okay, and then what? Give me a number. Like I don't. Uh, we, we've had this conversation before about people who want to give you information, but they don't want to be linked to it. And it's like they're trying to give you information, and like they're like, but I can't really give you. So I can't tell you who said it, but somebody in the locker room said, then don't tell me. Like, if you have to water it down that much, then don't tell me. This reeks of the dollar amount is going to become a conversation. So let's just say we signed her to a two-year extension. Let's just say we signed Becky for five years in excess of a million dollars. Let's say we signed Asia for just under 200000 Give me a dollar amount. And if you aren't confident enough to give me a dollar amount, why are you confident enough to slide it across the table to those women? And until the league can give me an answer for that, I'm going to continue to do things like this. I don't blame you. The fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it, the, the, the problem is that it's carrying over to stuff outside of professional sports. Talk about it. Um, you know, I, I think if you, you know... And we, we, we'll just use an American or America as an example for that right. matter, just because it's it's simple and it's easy. If you are living in America and you still believe that men and women are getting paid the exact same for the same job, you are living under a rock. You're trying not to see it. You're yeah. You're putting the blinders on, and we've in Amer- for whatever reason in America and even outside of America. I mean, other countries have this problem as well. For whatever reason. I mean, again, still trying to figure out exactly why it is, but we we like to think that men somehow do a better job at the same job compared to women because of gender. And that has always drove me up a wall. And, you know, I mean, we could even tie it back to a local tie. If you asked me who's done a better job of playing basketball at UNLV, the Lady Rebels run laps around the men's. And How it, many laps? So many. I mean, look, the men couldn't even get out of the quarterfinal of the Mountain West tournament. Not a shocker. They've been having a track record of that. The Lady Rebels. The Lady Rebels in. made history at practically every turn this season. <laughs> um, but yet, at the end of the day, we still hear about the diff- the different donations and the different grants that come through the men's program. Yep. We never hear about that from the Lady Rebels, the team that actually wins. We never hear about that from softball. We never hear about that from volleyball. The two main talking points for everybody when they bring up UNLV, whether they're a student on campus, whether a community member, is they want to talk about football and they want to talk about men's basketball. Everything else seems to be an afterthought. And I think the same can be said for, um, for the WNBA. It, it's kind of viewed as an afterthought. Because everybody's so focused and centered in on the NBA or the NHL or the or whatever league they want to pull up, that they're that when you mention the, the WNBA, people just kind of go, "Oh yeah," and it should. I don't know when it's going to ever change. If it does, I hope someday it does, and I hope that day is rather soon. Because enough's enough. Hmm. 
I'll tell you what else is, is what what else what other topic rather has drawn the enough is enough response from me and that response or that particular topic would be Brittany Griner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to ruffle feathers when I said this, and this is the first time that I've had a live show since I've said those remarks. But I believe I said it on Thursday. And Duna was here, and we talked about the BG42 on everybody's court. And I remember the Sparks in uh, the sky when they started the season, they mentioned that every team was going to have that on the court, and they would have it until Brittany Griner returned home. And respectfully, I heard that, and I said so. I'm glad I wasn't the only only one thinking that. I said, what does that matter? She's not home. (laughs) She's not home. And you guys are playing. With all due respect, and I'm not saying that she did not deserve it because we understand what happened with Breonna Taylor, but there were almost moments of silence and ceremonies and speeches almost before every game. You can't tell me if I'm not the commissioner of the league. I'm not doing the same thing for BG. I don't know, man. I just, I don't, I can't, I can't get with it. And I just, I don't think a decal on the court is going to make me get with it. And I just, I don't get it. And then I say these on, these comments on Thursday and some people kind of look at me away. And that's fine if you guys did look at me away. But what news broke the following morning? Brittany Griner's court case has been delayed another month. (laughs) So let me know what that decal stopped. I'll say this, let it happen to LeBron and the NBA doesn't play. At minimum. Adam Silver is in Russia right now. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Rob Palinka's in Russia right now. Let it happen to Rich KD. Paul's in Russia right now. Let it happen to KD. Let it happen to Jason Tatum. Fair. Let it happen to a polarizing superstar in the NBA. The or city a pol- of Boston might be in Russia. If Jason Tatum was there. <laughs> oh, they don't play around, by the way. And so, yeah, if the, if the city of Boston goes to Russia, that might be a. That's a di- the, yeah. Ooh, oh boy. Yeah. What happened to somebody in the NFL? What happened to Tom Brady? The NFL doesn't play. What happened to Mike Trout in baseball? Mm. The league doesn't play. Again, tell me when this is actually going to change and not just talk about when it's going to change. Because we've talked about this changing and the WNBA being more equal to the, all the rest of the professional sports, yet it still isn't. Hmm. We're still seeing athletes from the WNBA having to go overseas to make a living. What's up, Kia? What's up, Kia Stokes? Kia Stokes has yet to play a game for the Las Vegas Aces because she is overseas completing her contract over there. Ta-da. And she makes $115,000 this year, just so you guys know. Yeah. Let that sink in, guys. And keep in mind, too, no disrespect to Kia Stokes. I don't know her personal business, but I don't know what advertising dollars she's going out and getting and getting from other sponsors and things of that nature. But Kia Stokes isn't the first, second, or third face that you think of when you think of the Las Vegas Aces. She's making six figures this year, and she's overseas hooping for more. This is your league. I don't know, fam. Let's talk about the other league that Elise is doing it halfway, right? Right. Let's talk about the NBA for the remainder of the first hour. Um, I don't like apologizing. I know you don't. 
I really don't like apologizing. And I had to text you because, like, sometimes you apologize and it's like, ah, oh, I don't mind getting this apology off. I really didn't expect to give you this one. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I, don't, I have no real response. I have no takes on the uh, the conference finals because I didn't expect Dallas to be there. But, Matt, you you called after game four. You said Dallas in seven. And I, I'm not going to lie. I chuckled. I, I gave you a good chuckle. And... I feel like whenever you mention Dallas, you just have to say Luca, and you can just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> we talked about this after the show oh, a couple weeks ago, and I was mad at Bleacher Report, and I'm gonna still stand on it because I'm, I'm I don't want to I don't want to deviate from it, but they were piecing together who would win. This is obviously a, a previous generation's player to a. a, a, a mm, possible legend from today i don't want to give him the legend status just yet but um draymond and dennis robin was one shot the kd who said that game would take six days um but they had one about magic johnson against luca and i said what i said i said can luca defend because if luca can't defend he's gonna have a long day with magic and then i thought about what happens if luca gets the ball first I still think Magic wins, but exactly what happened in Game 7 is the reason why that began to become a question for me. Matt, why did you see this three games ahead of time? Because the Mavs are who I think we all kind of were afraid of who we thought they were going to be. And that's the scrappy team that just doesn't go away. And this was an all-time bad performance from the Suns. No other way to put it. We're going to get to that in a second, too. The fact of the matter is it's a Game 7 situation on your home court and you get 40-pieced. I, I don't know how you're supposed to oh, let that sit for the off season and roll over to the next season. But that I, I would almost rather lose in a close game than it be that... No, you got to lose in a heartbreaker. You, yeah. you got to have some type of dignity. <laughs> and, I, I mean, it, as far as what this means for the Mavs, personally, I don't think they get to the finals. I, I think they're going to run into a depth problem with the Warriors. Because, yes, the Mavericks have Luka and they have Jalen Brunson. That's great. The Warriors have Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. Oh, and by the way, they've got Jordan Poole and Draymond Green. And Andrew Wiggins. And Andrew Wiggins. So, you know, sure, you can use Jalen Brunson and Steph Cur- or Luca to cancel out Steph right. and Clay. That still leaves Jordan Poole the opportunity to go crazy. Same thing with Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green. At the end of the day, it's going to be a depth problem. And the fact of the matter is that the, the Warriors have home court in the series. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, well, what used to be Oracle, now the Chase Center, you know, has historically been a tough place to go on the road to win. I think it's I think it's a six game series. I almost said five, but the Mavericks are good enough to get a couple. And and everything that I said Luka was was good enough to keep in mind guys, Luka Doncic started this playoff run injured. Yep. So, I thought that Utah would get it get we get out of the first round because Luka was injured and you're dealing with a with, with a wounded animal at that point. And 
I said Luka was good enough to come back after two games and still get them two games. Luka came back after one, I believe. Maybe it was three. Who knows? What? what who, who, who even cares? But Dallas got out of the series. And Dallas did it in six. So now you get to this Phoenix series, and we can, we, we can talk about it um, now, talking about Phoenix. But did you hear how Devin Booker classified the, uh, the game? Mm-mm. He classified it in the post-game press conference as a good old-fashioned ass-whooping. It's about what it was. Why do I like Devin Booker more and more when he loses? Calls it as it is. I said after the NBA Finals that Devin Booker just seems like the type that – and now I'm cool with looking like this, but it's going to look very, very foolish in hindsight. I don't know Devin Booker. I said because he's so fixated on winning a championship, I could see if the Finals don't go his way, he just want to lock in for the summer. I don't know that that commitment to U.S. to USA basketball means the same thing if he doesn't win a championship. And I watched him lose that finals, and I watched him untuck his jersey while Milwaukee was celebrating. And I watched a, a, the camera pick up when he said, damn. And I watched that, and then I watched Book show up and wear the Dream Team hat every day. In Tokyo. He gets the gold. And he highlighted when Kobe, Kobe Bryant, long live Bean, um, participated with Team USA with the Redeem team in 2008 after losing to the Celtics. And I said, okay. I said, that made me like Book a lot more. I watched this game or this post-game press conference and I said, you know what? It's, it's starting to get impossible not to like Book. It's it's really getting to that point for me. And now here comes the hard conversation to have. I had a conversation with my dad last night about if you could tell the story of basketball without Chris Paul. Can you? No. I felt the same way. My dad said, yeah. I'm thinking that I'm proving a point. And I said, okay, well, let me compare this one. And I mentioned Derrick Rose. And I said, can you tell the game of basketball without Derrick Rose? You don't even have to answer that question. You thought about it longer than Chris Paul. What I don't like about it is when I asked that to my dad, he said no. And I said, well, I don't know, man. Youngest MVP in league history, suffers any injury. He has never been the same. My dad said he could put Penny Hardaway and Grant Hill in the same boat. I said, no, no, no. Never league MVP. Never did it at the highest of the highest of heights. Derrick Rose did. By the time I was done with that conversation, I believe that maybe you could tell Derrick Rose, or you have to include Derrick Rose's story more than Chris Paul. And this is coming from a person who you guys know how I feel about Chris Paul. I'm taking Chris Paul as my first point guard in almost any generation because of what I'm going to surround him with. Last night did not help. Last night culminated as the fifth series that Chris Paul was up 2-0 in, and he lost. By the time Chris Paul retires, what's going to be the storyline on him? I hope it's not the same one they're talking about with AI. Sorry to say that, too, but I mentioned AI to my dad as well. You obviously can't tell the story of basketball without AI, right? Of course not. Now, what do AI, Derrick Rose, and Chris Paul, two of those three guys, what do they have in common? 
Two of those guys were named League MVP. Chris Paul is not one of those gentlemen. That gave a little bit of credence to my dad's point. All three don't have a ring. Indeed. It's funny you mentioned Team USA, by the way. I thought I heard somebody say that there'd be problem for the Boston Celtics this year. I, I don't know who that may have been, but, you know, seems like they're doing all right. I, I've told you guys this before. Let's talk about the other side um, really quick because you mentioned Golden State, and Golden State is Golden State. I'll give you guys one thing that I have on Golden State before we get out of here into the second hour. Right before, or right before we get into this Eastern Conference Finals, before we get into the second hour. But um, I don't know if you saw this, but did you see Duna uh, tweeting me after Game Five? Mm-mm. And okay, shout out to Duna. Duna tweeted me after Game Five when Memphis absolutely blew the doors off of Golden State, and he has said prior to he has said on the Thursday show, um, Golden State in seven, and, or it's going seven. And I'm not gonna lie, I laughed at him again. And I said, Memphis isn't going to lose at home. I said, I think, in fact, this is before we knew Ja was out for the season, uh, for the regular, well, obviously for the season. Um, I said, if Ja comes back, I think that even more, like, you know what I mean, hurts their chances to win because they play well without him this year. So I think Ja at 50% can hurt you more than just an entire team that has been fl- playing fluidly without him. They went to Memphis without Ja. I said they're not going to lose in Memphis. I don't care who's on the floor. <laughs> like, they're not losing in Memphis. That game happens. Duna tweets me and says, and at Sir Chatterbox said, this what this series wasn't going seven. I quoted it and said, LOL, it's not. Golden State in six. Ta-da. Um, but let's talk about the East really quick. Um... Miami is the number one seed. They're the only number one seed in this Final Four in the NBA. But they're making it look easy. Man. They're making it look really easy. Jimmy Butler is a man on a mission. I- I've said this before, too. Jimmy Butler is probably going to be one of my favorite stories of all time when this is all said and done. And I don't care if he wins a ring. You got something? My dad said he didn't say anything about Penny. You're right. I brought him up, but he, it doesn't matter. You got anything to say about Miami? And and truthfully, I believe Tyler Hero is going to run that run that city if Miami goes back to the finals. I do. I truthfully think that. I think similar to Dallas, I think the road ends here for Miami. It's really hard to overlook what Boston's been doing this playoffs and more importantly, who they've been doing it against. All credit to Miami. I mean, yes, Miami, they've, they've put in their, their fair share to get to where they're at, but let's look at the breakdown. They opened up playoffs against Atlanta with home court. And an Atlanta team, which everybody knows, if you take away Trey Young, you've taken away the head of the snake. Right. Not very hard to do, in my opinion, especially in today's game where... With Trey Young being a guard, it's easier to defend that um, compared to if he was a seven footer. It's a little harder to wrap you know wrap your hands around that and try and slow that down. So they take care of that in five games. Then they go on to Philly, and they get a relatively easy series with Philly, albeit it went to six games. 
the first two were without Joel Embiid. Yes. And Joel Embiid re-aggravated that injury in game six, I believe. And so really you're talking about, what, two and a half games of the series that you didn't have to worry about Joel Embiid? I'm going to throw one caveat in. And obviously you don't want to hurt anybody, right? Right. We heard Bill Lambeer talk about his generation. And if I knew Michael had a bum toe, mm -hmm. I would accidentally step on it at the free throw line. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just kind of the way that it goes. But Miami, I don't think it's no coincidence that I understand he's not led on the or he's not leading them on the floor, but they're led by Pat Riley. This is what you need in the postseason. I'm yeah. going to give you a forearm. I'm going to give you a shoulder block. Does Boston have the toughness on the other side to deal with? I think so. Because you saw what they did to start off. They swept a Brooklyn team that, by many's account, thought they would be the one hoisting the trophy at the end of the day. I thought at least they were going to the conference finals. So they took care of them in four. And then they go to a seven game with Milwaukee. Another team people had pointed to that said they gonna, they're going to repeat. Yep. I think what made Boston tough was the Milwaukee series because of who they were having to go up against. The amount, there had to have been at least two or three different occasions that Jason Tatum took a pretty hard hit from Giannis. Whether it was intentional from Giannis or not, somebody's going to have to ask Giannis that. But by the, na by the look of it and on the surface, by the naked eye, it sure looked like it could be viewed as intentional, where Giannis fouls Tatum a little bit extra hard, or maybe he does it to Jalen Brown. And yet, at the end of the day, Boston 20-pieced him in, the, in Game 7 on home and said, take that with you. And the thing is, too, Milwaukee did what, what they were supposed to do, right? They're going to force somebody else to beat them. Grant Williams beat them. Seven, <laughs> seven threes in a game. Grant Williams beat them. I mean, I, I believe his career high on attempts was nine coming in and that's one thing we didn't mention about the aces we are still talking basketball talk maybe i should just throw that in there the aces set new franchise records and three-pointers attempted and made in uh, in that game against the atlanta dream they were 16 for 35 from three andy yamashita from the rj asked kelsey i believe it was four years since that record was broken how how long until the, the, the team breaks both records coming up kelsey said next game so i don't know guys be aware um, but you, you talked about Boston, and I, I've said it before, and I'm happy that I'm ending this first hour with it because I have never wanted to be more wrong in my life. I've, I've said it before. I like Jason Tatum. I like Jalen Brown individually. I wasn't sure how much I liked them together. I wasn't. I was open about Jalen Brown going number three overall. I wasn't sure about that. But I want to be wrong in this situation because of the type of guys that those guys are. And to be quite honest, man, I... I hate being this guy. I know that the game is tomorrow, so maybe I could text the group and give you guys my opinion. But as it stands right now, I don't have an opinion on the Eastern Conference. I know whoever comes out of the East, the West going to have to deal with that. <laughs> That's all I know. And I, as of right now, I'm leaning towards Boston. But I don't know if that's because I want them to win. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I don't want to get nailed to the cross for this particular opinion. But I do think Golden State comes out of the West. I do think it's in six. The East, eh. What about you? Celtics in six. I think Celtics get it in six games, particularly not having home court. 
And it's funny because Ooh. if you look at it, it's it's kind of a funny trend. Miami's favorite tomorrow, but they're not favored for the series. Interesting. All I'm going to say <laughs> is the reason why I say what I said about Jimmy Butler, <clears throat> pardon, is because Jimmy Butler has been counted out. Like, Jimmy growing up had to live with AAU coaches during previous stints of his life. Jimmy wasn't supposed to be the man in Chicago. Jimmy was the defensive stopper in Chicago. Jimmy became the man in Chicago to the point where they had a decision to make when Derrick Rose got back. Went to Miami, goes to the NBA Finals. Everybody says it's because of the bubble. I can't say that I don't want Jimmy to go back to the finals just so I can hear him go. What happened? It was the bubble what? <laughs> we couldn't travel and do what? So, I don't know, man. Jimmy Butler is one of my favorite players in the league, and I think it's kind of hard to root against somebody like Jimmy Butler. Um, let, let, let's talk about this local news because the second hour that we're actually heading into and if you guys are just joining us you guys are listening to the talk that talk radio show i'm terrell that's matt this is your monday episode of the talk that talk radio show if you guys want to follow us on facebook twitter or excuse me on facebook instagram soundcloud anywhere if you guys are watching our live stream or want to watch our live stream you guys can catch us at talk that talk radio show on twitter that's the only one that's different it is at talk that talk lv but we're about to hop into some local news I'll be honest with you, Matt. I wasn't planning on talking about local news or classifying this NHL playoff talk in our local news talk, but we had some news out of Vegas break this morning. You want to go ahead and let the people know? No more Peter Boer in Vegas. Peter Boer's been fired. We call it that one. I'm surprised it's the only move that's been made so far. Um, wink, wink. What are, you, what are you alluding to? The fact that there's a GM still there to fire him. The fact is, I I could take this a couple different ways. I could look at they this. They're gonna and, be mad at you. I know. I, they've been mad at me that ever since true. I ever since That's I said they true. weren't making the playoffs <laughs> back in November. They were like, "Bruh, hey, they have they have absolutely been mad at you for six months." That's okay. This isn't I'm, gonna get any better. Keep I'm cool going. with it. Keep going, Matt. Um, the fact is, to me, this looks like a last-ditch effort for the GM spot. That I think a, a conversation was had with Bill Foley and Kelly McCrimmon, current general manager of the Golden Knights, either you're going to fire Pete DeBoer or I'm going to fire both of you. Your pick. So the fact that Pete DeBoer has been fired leads me to believe that we probably see Kelly McCrimmon around for one more season. I would have thought if they were going to do away with Kelly McCrimmon, they would have done it first. And then they would have worked their way down the ladder and went, okay, Pete DeBoer, and so on and so forth. The fact that they started with Pete DeBoer tells me that Kelly McCrimmon probably stays one more year. I, I'm i not certain, but that's kind of the, the feel that I get. I don't think this is going to be the only offseason move, though, for the Knights. That I, I am pretty certain on because with a new head coach – comes possibly some new roster moves and bringing in players that he likes. Um, I will say if, and, and Vegas might not be 
completely oblivious to this. Uh-oh. Do you know who's still on the coaching market available? Is it Gerard Gallant? No, Gerard Gallant. Oh, he's in New York, no? Uh, he's with the Rangers. He is with the Rangers. I was say Rangers that Carolina's going to have to do with. Um, I don't know. Tell me. Barry Trotz. Okay. Former head coach of the Washington Capitals that beat the Golden Knights in year one. How do you feel about stuff like that? Because I can tell you how UNLV felt about it with Eric Musselman. It's too obvious not to ignore. You, ha- If you're the Golden Knights, you should be on the phone right now with Barry Trotz saying, what do you want and how much is it going to cost us? Because I think Barry Trotz is that good of a coach in the league. If I'm him, I'm sticking him up. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I mean, you're. I think if you're Barry Trotz, you're coming into the situation knowing that it's a roster that, for what it's worth, it is win now ready. Yep. It, you don't have to go through a whole lot of a rebuild. Uh, whether you, you know, want to believe that that situation is necessarily the best is, you know, I guess that's in the eye of the beholder, essentially. But it does have some pieces that are su- are suitable and sustainable, you know, for a few years at least. You got Jack Eichel on pretty long term. Yep. You got guys like Jonathan Marcheseau and William Carlson and, and whatnot that are all kind of tied up long term. Right. So you know they're not going to go anywhere anytime soon. I however, th- I think I knew it was a however coming. The biggest question mark, I think, when you look at the roster, at least in the immediate right now, is, well, two things. One, what do you do with Riley Smith if you mm-hmm. try and move him for cap space? Right. If you don't, do you look at maybe moving a goaltender? Particularly maybe Robin Leonard. Because So let's go here. Because what? Because Robin Leonard takes up over $5 million a year. Now let's talk about new regime, right? This Pete DeBoer move, you said you didn't think it was the last one that's coming from the Vegas Golden Knights. And here's one reason why I don't think it's the last one. For one of the reasons that you just said, but not necessarily because of the money. Pete DeBoer, when he came in, he let it be known right away. Robin Leonard is my guy. How did that work for him? It lost him his job. Yep. So I think Robin Leonard is kind of the elephant in the room that ultimately will be moved. Pete DeBoer also came in and said, if you guys want me in this position, I know you guys have never done captains before, but I want to do a captain. Mark Stone became the captain, and I've said it before. I'm not saying that, for for instance, somebody like Barry Trotz. I'm not saying that he's going to come in and say, I don't like Mark Stone as the captain. However, what if he does? It's harder to say, give me that C on your chest then it just send you somewhere. To that you say what? I think in that case they would just take the C away. Because I think Mark Stone is too valuable to the franchise to just move away from. Okay, what about the angle of taking that C away and now you're waiting for somebody to speak up. In a, no matter who you get, I see, too. Now let's say you're still waiting for somebody to speak up in the locker room after a particular 7-2 to loss. And Mark Stone would typically be that guy to rally the troops. Now he's sitting in the back, not doing it. <laughs> I'm not going to. Why? I might want that guy away from the team. It's the easiest to leave the C on the chest, isn't it? 
Yeah, but if it's not your move, I don't know, man. If you, it, I'll put it this way: uh, Have you watched Winning Time? Mm-mm. I haven't watched the, uh, the 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 season finale of it, but um, Paul Westhead was it? Paul Westhead? No, it was Jerry West. Um, hell, it could have been Jack McKinney. I, I can't think of any of the coaches at this present moment, but um, I remember it was a conversation being had, and um, I think it was Jack McKinney. And um, they were. He was just basically saying like, "Well, if I do take the Laker job, like they got Kareem, they got Magic, they, they're, they're, they got the um, first year with the Laker girls. Like the, it's Showtime, it's the glitz and glamour." And his wife was kind of like, "So you're worried? Like it's too perfect." Vegas could be in a situation like that as well, where coaches are just saying, "What if I do go there and I say, Marshall Shaw is the one thing I want to shake up." And now that's the one thing that disbands the entire team. So this is still a young franchise that's had so much success in this, I mean, this fifth season. This is the first time that they've missed the postseason. I don't know that anybody wants to be credited with the original downfall of the Vegas night, of the Vegas Golden Knights. That could be a hard job to sell. You think tell us enough? I think so. And the fact of the matter is, is I beat at the end of the as bad as this is going to sound, the Vegas Golden Knights can pitch it to Barry Trotz as like, you got a better offer? Yeah. I mean, when you look at it like that, you got to start just looking at the rest of your email inbox and go, well, how long did you say you wanted me for again? Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Speaking of that, let's talk about the second round real quick because I, I asked you a question prior to – uh, that started his second hour, and um, I lie. I asked you a question prior to the start of the show, and um, I'm going to ask you again. Do you think, because coming into the season, I had two names that obviously we know about the Lightning. We know about kind of just some of the teams that are at the top of this league, but I mentioned some teams that I was just like, these are going to be some teams that make noise. And I pointed to the LA Kings, and I pointed to the Dallas Stars. I asked Matt, considering where the Vegas Golden Knights were, um, right before the end of the regular season and how they were fighting for those two spots or fighting for those spots, but fighting with those teams kind of jockeying for position. If he felt like the Vegas Golden Knights, if they would have made the postseason, would have had a better showing than the Dallas Stars who played Calgary or the LA Kings who played Edmonton. Would Vegas have had a better showing? Matt, I asked you that before the show. What'd you say? No. Simple as. I no. was just about to say, guys, he really left it at that. He said no, and I was just looking at him for more, like, okay. Um, I, I would love to ask why, but I think you told us all the reasons in November. So heading into this second round, we got Colorado against St. Louis, which is going to be insane. We have Calgary against Edmonton. We have Florida against Tampa Bay. Salim, Florida man, Panthers, what's up? And then lastly, we have Carolina, the Hurricanes against the New York Rangers, Gerald Gallant. Or Gerard Gallant, excuse me. Um, which one of these do you want to talk about most? I think I have a, a, an idea where you might lean. I think a lot of Vegas Golden Knight fans want to talk about the Rangers. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> I, I think the Rangers are are interesting. And, and full disclosure, I was I was hoping Pittsburgh would win the series um, by default because <laughs> with the Knights being out, I went down the list and went, well, Pitt- Who do I not want to see win? Pittsburgh? Like the Steelers, all right. I guess we'll root for the the Penguins here. Um, That's the way I do it too. So, 
the fact that they, you know, that was a, a great game seven in overtime, Rangers win, um, now playing Carolina. I don't know, man. I think the Rangers could pull it off. I'm not completely sold on Carolina, and it feels like the Rangers team is just getting better by the day. I talk about it all the time. I don't know very many stars in this league, right? But Sebastian Aho is a star that I not only know the name, but I, I recognize him. And, I mean, for you to say that, and obviously for them to be a, a number one seed, it means a lot. However, you talked about the Game 7 between New York and Pittsburgh. Let's talk about these Game 7s because we had one, two, three, four, five, five different Game 7s. In this first round, you had Edmonton beat the Kings in a game seven. You had the Dallas Stars get down by, uh, excuse me, Calgary in seven games. You just mentioned the New York Rangers beating Pittsburgh in seven. And we also, actually all games at the bottom, on the bottom half of the bracket, all series rather, Boston and Carolina went five, or went seven games, excuse me. And then the last game, the fifth and final one series rather, that went the full seven was Tampa Bay and Toronto. And in addition to that, Tampa Bay are, are the only team in that seven, in that game sevens, rather, in those scenarios, they're the only road team that won. Just a little thing to highlight. But anything else that you want to highlight? Obviously, Connor McDavid is a, is a name that everybody's excited to see in the second round with Edmonton. Um, had to get by, obviously, a pesky L.A. team to get there. But do you think that they get past Calgary, a Calgary team that led the Knights division? I don't. I think Calgary just has so much different firepower on offense and they're such a high scoring team and they're going to have home ice yeah I, I I think Calgary takes care of it um I, I did kind of chuckle when the, the Lightning beat the Toronto Maple Leafs only because after game one of that series there was probably half of Canada saying that it was over the Leafs had won yep. and um, counting their chickens before they hatched. And Toronto had a 3-2 series lead in the, in the series. They proceeded to lose the next two to the defending champs. And as I mentioned before, whether it was on this show or some, uh, the other show, mm-hmm. I know that Tampa's down 3-2. They're still the two-time defending champ. Don't think they're going to go away quietly. And they're still standing. Ta-da. Uh, my favorite matchup of the second round and I'll be honest with you I'm really just excited to see how excited Duna gets if Colorado actually makes it past the second round Colorado and St. Louis we knew about or we know about St. Louis's uh miraculous Cinderella run a couple of seasons ago right but you, you've talked about Colorado and their ability to blitz through teams they're the only team in the first round that came away with a sweep does Colorado get upset by St. Louis this is a really good series. This is a seven-game series. Mm. And the, the the funniest part is each game is like a 5-4 type of game. Just goals everywhere because of how these two teams play. Like Colorado consistently all year was putting up five, six, seven on their own. Yep. St. Louis, three, four, five. Now you're putting those two together – Ooh, yeah, I mean, you might not need a goalie at that point. You just play with the open nets, and whoever whoever got more, you know, we'll go with that. But at this point, let's talk betting numbers. 
Uh, are you taking the over? I don't even know what the over is for the series, but I don't every even, individual I, game, are you taking the over? Yeah, I don't even care what the eight, Put it at eight and a half. I, it's probably going to go over. Like, that's one of those, you go up to the pay, you go up to the window, you, you place the bet, you just turn right back around, you get back in line, and you wait for the game to end so you could, there you go. Go ahead and cash out. There you go. Because. It's smart, man. I mean, it, it's insane the tempo that these two teams play at, and they play that all year. Like teams will go through different stretches where right. maybe they look a little faster than maybe you know other stretches. But Colorado, yeah, Colorado and St. Louis is like a track meet every single game with these two teams. Now you got another three C. Obviously, St. Louis is the three C in that particular one, but this other three C we just talked about it. They're not just any three C, right? They're back to back defending. Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Florida, man, you got your hands full. Your Panthers, your number one seeded Panthers, have to take on the defending champs. Why do I think Tampa's going to be standing at the end of this one, too? Because they have Andre Vasilevsky in their net. He, I think that's simple in playing. Yeah, I, I think the fact that Tampa has the better goalie in the series, they have more playoff pedigree, and they've been here before. Hmm. Yeah, I I like Tampa for the series. I I think they get through. Who's the higher seed? In that one, Florida. Florida. So Florida has home ice. I'll give it to Tampa in six. And I don't want to just. I don't want to do it, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna look ahead real quick. New York and Tampa. Tampa. Huh. I kind of feel that way too. I didn't want to say it because I caught I caught Tampa last year the year the, the year that Dallas won. I caught Dallas, so I'm what two out of the last three. Pretty um, good. Yeah, I think so for somebody who's not the biggest hockey guy. But I, I wanted to say the Lightning in the, in the championship again, but I I don't know, man. I don't I don't want to be I don't. Remember how I told my dad I feel like the um uh. March Madness would be weird. I feel like we would get some six seeds. We would get some eight seeds. And just so happened, North Carolina ended up being, what, at eight? And, yeah, we see how that ended. But for me, I'm getting that sense with this. I'm getting that sense with this. I don't know where it comes from, though. That's why I did mention Edmonton and Connor McDavid. I just I, – I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. But my gut is telling me that one half of the Stanley Cup final – Will, will involve Tampa Bay. I think the other half involves Colorado. We could very well see Colorado Tampa. Do you know how annoying doing it would be? <laughs> I just want to let you know what you would have to deal with because I don't really care that much. But you would have to like literally deal with that. But nevertheless, anything else you want to give us in terms of hockey before we talk about some other local news in the city? We got some baseball to talk about. I've enjoyed these playoffs, even though the nights aren't in. Like, right. I mean, I remember probably what was it last week? I was home fairly early um, from whatever I was doing and turned on the. I think it was game five. I want to say of Tampa Toronto, and I mean, I was like, "This is pretty good. Like, this is good quality hockey. Like, it, you know, I get the nights aren't in, but you know, this is good enough. That I'd, I'd watch, and um, I think a lot of the series have been like that to where. They've been good matchups, and they've mm-hmm. been genuinely entertaining to watch. This is going to be really, really bad. I'm going to give you one more chance to make the Vegas go to night fans hate you. Oh, boy. Would the Knights have hurt that? 
Yeah. Even even with Nashville's sweep, like. Yeah, because you know what's coming. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm leaving. Stop it. <laughs> aviators, aviators, aviators. Um, hey, a team, that's in, a team that is in first. Yes, a team that is in first place in their division, the Pacific Coast League West. As of right now, it belongs to the Aviators. Matt, this is what I'm most proud of when I'm covering it, the fact that I'm covering this team. This team is six series into the season. Six. And keep in mind, guys, these are six-game series. They have one, two of them. They've tied with four of them. That means they've still yet to lose one. Now, a couple of seasons, maybe last season, actually, there were – just split series. Almost every time you looked up, it was split series. And the team hovered around 500. We talked about it last year. This year, with those two wins sprinkled in, this team has an overall record of 20 and 16, I believe, is the overall record. Um, I could be wrong. I need to probably look it up. But could be 20 and or they, uh, I believe it's 20 and 16. Most recently, they split a three-game – or excuse me, a six-game series, three apiece, with the Salt Lake Bees of the L.A. Angels organization. Sidebar. Complete sidebar. Do you like when the major league teams and the minor league teams are playing at the same time? No. I do. I'm the weirdo that might. So we're in the the press box getting ready for an aviator game that starts at 7. But in the press box we have on the Angels and the Oakland Athletics that's, I don't know, maybe an inning number 5. And – it's just interesting because you're watching people who have went up throughout the ring. So you, I don't know, you're watching Joe Adele in the in the uh, building at Las Vegas Ballpark, and he hit four home runs in a six-game series. Just to kind of put into perspective what Las Vegas Ballpark can do when you bring in an excellent hitter. But then you look at the athletics, and I'm going to merge this really quick because the athletics, they lost three of their four at home to the, uh, to the Angels. We knew that the Angels were tied first, and we knew that the Athletics were the exact opposite. They're sitting on the bottom of the division. However, their lone win. Do you know how they got their lone win? Mm-mm. It was a 4-3 to three final during a doubleheader on Saturday. Luis Barrera hit a, hit a walk-off three-run home run for his first major league home run. I highlighted it because Luis started last year extremely fast for the Aviators. Ended up getting called up. Had moments. Um, This year, he hit, and this was last month specifically when speaking about the Aviators, but opening night, it was a 3-2 win. Um, Actually, in that first series, there were three one-run wins. It was a 3-2 win. It was a 4-3 win. And it was a 5-4 win. And Luis Barrera was responsible for the first two aviator walk-offs of the season. So we're more than a, a little more than a month into the season. Luis Barrera can say that he has three walk-off home runs. I don't know, man. It's a little different. And, again, that's the lone win that the Athletics had during that four-game set. They're now 15-22 and 22 overall. They're nine games behind first place. They are last in the AL West. A three-game series against the Minnesota Twins starts tonight. First pitch is at 640. It's home. It's a home game for the Oakland Athletics. So if you're out in Oakland, go check out your home team. And I'm going to keep saying it, guys. If you guys don't check them out, guess who will? 
in addition to that, once they get through with that three-game series in Minnesota, they're headed to the Big A. They're headed to Anaheim for another three-game set with the Angels, hopefully looking to undo that, what was that, one in three? One in three showing up in Oakland. Let's go back to that first place team for a second. Because they split with the Bees, as I said before. They split the six-game series 3-3. However, they, they went to Salt Lake last month and split six there. So they're 12 games through this season. Matt, this is gonna be this is gonna be the fun part. I wonder if I can actually pull this up. Hmm. Actually, don't worry about it. I do have it. I do have it up right here. So in those twelve games, right, it's split six six. Matt, I have a wild stat for you. The Aviators, and actually, we could probably pull this up. This is something I do think we can pull up because we're going to pull up the standings as they stand currently. Now keep in mind guys, all of minor league baseball has a day off on Monday. It always happens. This is their off day. This is the travel day. This is we knew that we know that this is coming every week, right? So if you ever want to just know where the standings are without pending games, go check on Monday. Matt, you're looking at the standings right now in the Pacific Coast League West. Any of these numbers or columns stand out to you cuz I know one in particular that stands out to me. First place only has 20 wins. <laughs> yes. Yes, we're, we're, we're flirting with mediocrity. However. <laughs> oh, that's, that's probably not the number you wanted me to look at. That wasn't. <laughs> look at that run differential category. So I'm going to get back to the specific Salt Lake Bees point, but actually let me, let me do this now because in these, in these 12 games this year, the Aviators have won six. The Salt Lake Bees have won six. However, the Aviators have been outscored by 22 runs. This is why I brought up run differential. The Aviators lead the, divi lead the division, but they have a minus six run differential. In fact, four of the five teams in the PCOS have a negative run differential. The only team that doesn't is the Salt Lake Bees, and they're plus 58. We should all be looking at analytics, right? I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. All I'm going to say is the Aviators, when they lost three of their games this season, or this series, they lost 11-3, 11-2, 11-2, or 10-2. The games that they won, they were 6-4, they were 7-8, things like that. So just kind of to put everything into perspective for you guys. However, I have I got to be consistent with my analysis. Run differential means a lot. In, in, in the sports that I have covered, and at least the years that I have covered, run differential will tell you a lot about the teams that are clicking and the teams that are cooking with – and, I, and I, I need to figure out exactly what the what the phrase is. Is it cooking with gas? I'm going to figure this out. Yeah, cooking with gas. I'm going I'm to figure it out. I didn't cook with everything in a book at this present moment. But um, it's interesting to see because the story is going to write itself as the season progresses, but – a minus six run differential while you're leading the league or while you're leading your division is, is something to, to to hang your hat on, obviously, regardless of the run differential. However, when that team that's breathing down your neck is only a game behind and their run differential is plus 58, maybe you guys have something to worry about. All-time record, too, just in case you guys are wondering. Let me actually see what the, what the total number is. So, Matt, between 434 total games played, between the Salt Lake and Las Vegas franchises, 
Can you guess? And just so you know, split down the middle was 217, so you can have a reference point. Can you guess the season record? Or the, the all-time record, rather, between these two teams. Between 434 games played, obviously right down the middle, that's 217. The 217 and 217. It is 218 and 216 in favor of Las Vegas. Ooh, that was close. <laughs> Matt, I, you can't make this stuff up. I'm telling you, man. Why do I feel like these are going to be the final two teams that are fighting, jockeying for position in terms of this division? Just feels that way. I don't know, man. I'll tell you what it does feel like. It feels like this team is headed to the road because that's exactly what's happening. A season-long 12-game road trip. I knew that season-long 12-game homestand. I knew it was going to bite me in, 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 the, on, on the, in the backside rather, sooner rather than later. But it, the, the biting is officially going to start tomorrow when this team heads up to Greater Nevada Field and they're going to take on the Reno Aces of the Arizona Diamondbacks organization and they'll end their 12-game road trip with the six-game series at Tacoma. And, of course, that's the Tacoma Rainiers of the Seattle Mariners organization. It means they're out of town for a couple weeks. Yeah, man. And the Aces are home for a straight week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, what is off day? None of the, none, Whatever. I'm going to vent. And I don't want to vent for the last 30 minutes. I'm going to vent about something else, rather, actually. So I guess I am going to vent. Man, you might want to cover your ears, man, because I feel like I just want to let a lot of F-bombs fly. But this is exactly why I tell you guys, get away from me if you're going to panic. I'm not a panicker. Like, I don't like to panic, and I don't like people that panic because you can't think clearly. I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I paid attention to everything that y'all said after this third straight home loss by your Vegas Nighthawks, the indoor football team, who's in this inaugural season. This is their first year. And you guys were up in arms talking about fire the head coach, talk, talking about, talking about, which was, of course, Mike Davis, who was also the general manager. Fire Mike Davis. By the way, guys, you're asking him to fire himself. Um, I was getting all of those comments and that rhetoric from a team that was three and five. And they were three and five through nine weeks. And I'll be honest, it just didn't make much sense to me. I admitted it on Thursday's show. The cause to pause for me was what believe, what appeared to be the unsurety and uncertainty from the team. That kind of gave me cause to pause. More than people, of course, especially these Vegas fans, overreacting to a sport that you probably just started watching. So... You fast forward to this to this most recent game, and they had San Diego, right? And I, I highlighted it, the San Diego Strike Force. If, if your Vegas Nighthawks are so bad at 3-5, and five, they were fourth in the division, I believe, at the time, maybe fifth. They're playing a team that's sixth in the division. So maybe this is the time to stay on the bandwagon and hope that things go right. And I'm just here to let you guys know, if you guys hopped off the bandwagon, everybody paid attention because the Vegas Nighthawks put up a franchise record 68 points. Yes, a franchise record, 68 points. They ended up winning 68-23 to 23 over the San Diego Strike Force. I got some numbers to give you guys, but they're a little unique. They're a little unique. Two wide receivers had three touchdown days. Cool. 
I wanted to highlight that and I wanted to let it breathe for a second because starting quarterback Gerard Evans, who was actually already named Offensive Player of the Week, what was that, two weeks ago now, went 13 for 18 this game, only 179 yards. He did have six touchdowns to no interceptions. Let's talk about these three touchdowns for these for these receivers, though. Casey Allison caught three passes, all three of which went for touchdowns. He did have the long for the day at 31 yards. He did have 64 total yards accumulated on a day. Let's talk about Dez Epps for one second because Dez Epps also had three catches, two of which were for touchdowns, and he had a, a 35 yards compiled with his receptions. It's interesting how I said it before, how basketball is just universal, right? Uh, football is universal in this sense that what's the most exciting play in football for you? Probably a touchdown. What kind of touchdown, though? Probably a pick six. It was one of two answers in my head, and pick six was number two for me. Kick return is number one because everything has to go right. Mm -hmm. Everything has to go right. Keep in mind, guys, I said Dez Epps had two touchdowns receiving. That's because his third touchdown was a kick return touchdown. I don't care if it – like, I smile when it happens against my team. It's like I smile because, like, it doesn't happen often. So you shrink the field. You add in squib kicks. How does that happen? Keep in mind, guys, San Diego ran back a kick, too, so I guess things was going right on both sides of the ball. Um, Jericho Flowers, former UNLV standout in the in the secondary he had his two first interceptions of the year he also ran one of those back for guess what a touchdown a pick six so matt you you would have had just excitement all around the board in this particular game kai higgins defensive tackle came into the game all right let's see if i can remember this came into the game tied for first in solo tackles for loss and tied for second in total tackles for loss on the very first drive he added a sack I mean, this is something that I, every every game that goes awry, I find myself asking head coach Mike Davis um, where the defense went wrong. What's so interesting is the games that it goes right, you, you, you point to the offensive numbers, right? And Jordan Cron Cronkite actually also rushed in for a touchdown in addition to backup quarterback Cameron Dukes, who uh, both of those gentlemen uh, accounted for both of those rushing touchdowns for the Vegas Nighthawks. However... Even with these offensive numbers, the storyline becomes the defense. They they had an, an, another interception. Actually, I need to remember who actually grabbed it. Um, why is it escaping me? Mister Mister Harry L uh, had the third interception. Actually, actually the first one before Jericho Flowers. Both of his interceptions came in the third quarter. But Kyrie McLean actually dropped one, so it should have been four interceptions, and it was actually a fumble that uh, was overturned after a Mike Davis challenge. So, as I've said before, when this team plays well, this team plays well through defense. And I know we're merging sports. Again, this is what we do here. But let's talk about Lindy LaRock. And it doesn't matter, Matt. It, every time we want to talk basketball with her, she does the coach thing. She goes to the opposite thing. And a lot of times with, with her team this season, there were crazy offensive numbers. And she would point to the other side and say, hey, that other team had seven points in the first quarter. Like, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, offense was dope, but I'm really proud of our defense. And that's where the coach obviously hangs their hat, right? And Becky Hammond said it earlier this season. I know we're only four games in, but she said it a couple of games ago. She said to see a team not win with their offense as a coach, it makes you smile. 
because we had to win ugly. There are going to be nights where the shot doesn't fall, and in particular in terms of football, there's going to be games that you're not going to put up a, a franchise record 68 points, right? But the defense has to show up. The defense is, oh, and I want this stat so bad, and it's put up. The defense is 3-1 and one when averaging two or more, uh, or when forcing two or more turnovers. For a team that's four and five. I don't know, guys. It's looking like your first year Vegas Nighthawks in their inaugural season. They're giving you guys something to kind of chew on. They're giving you guys a trend. So, again, if you guys are hopping off of this ship right now, I think you guys are hopping off in a very, very dangerous time. Especially considering that this team has Duke City next game. This, this team has Duke City on Saturday. That's May 21st. I don't know why that looks that way. It looks the way that it does. But that's Saturday, May 21st. It is a week 11 matchup. Kickoff, as of right now, is scheduled for 7 p.m. Duke City sits right under the Vegas Nighthawks in the standings. They're 3-5 and five overall. They are fifth in the Western Conference. You ready to get to that tip here? Yeah. I think it's interesting that this is now back-to-back -back weeks. Vegas has faced the situation, playing the team directly below them. We saw what happened the first time around. And all I'm going to say is if it happens this time around, <laughs> what did I say two weeks ago when everybody panicked? I said if this team wins back-to-back -back games, they're 500 more than halfway through the season. If head coach Mike Davis told you that he would be happy if this team was 500 after the first four games of the year, why would you guys want me to believe that he wouldn't be happy if the team is 500 more than halfway through the year? Vegas fans, man. Vegas fans. I can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> else has to make it make sense for me. Um, Matt, do you have anything else to get to at this present second before I get to the sip here? I'm all good. Hmm. I wanted to say Nighthawk fans, and it's not even their fault. It's just Vegas fans. Oh, yeah. Anywho, let's get to my dad's tip in. My dad's tip in today is heavy, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. My dad said he read an article today that the NFL will be meeting with Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson this week in Texas. Unless you've been under a rock for the past year, you know that the NFL has been investigating Watson to see if he violated the NFL's code of conduct while he is facing 22 Civil lawsuits from women who have accused him of inappropriate sexual conduct. Now, aside from football, these matters are much more important, and I hope that they are settled soon, and I hope that the correct decisions are made. Watson continues to deny any wrongdoing, and two grand juries in Texas have declined to indict Watson. My tip-in is, either Cleveland knows something about the probable outcome of Watson's meeting with the NFL, or they are the riskiest gamblers I have ever seen. We don't know if Watson will receive any suspensions from the NFL or if he will ever play in the league again. But nonetheless, Cleveland has banked on Watson, or excuse me, has banked on Watson playing for them for the foreseeable future by, by giving them a five-year, $230 million guaranteed contract with a, with a $44 million signing bonus. The key word, aside from those huge numbers, is guaranteed. That's a huge roll of the dice. I'm pretty sure that there are clauses in the contract, but guaranteed is guaranteed any way you look at it. Matt? What you got, man? If he's found guilty 
and I'm going to make sure I say if because mm-hmm. we don't know if, if it is or isn't, but hypothetically, if he's found guilty, that's one highly paid spectator for the Cleveland Browns. Oh, my gosh. I want to end the show after that. I just want to end it right there. It's like a mic drop moment. That and they're going to have to be calling Baker Mayfield back. Be like, hey, man, um, our bad. That's where I'm at with it. it and you keep saying if because we do not know at this present moment. If Deshaun Watson is guilty, first of all, that money is tied up into it. I'm sure they would try to avoid the contract. But first of all, some part of that money is tied up. That's number one. Number two, you burned the Baker Bridge. Number three, and this is completely off topic from the Deshaun Watson situation, kind of. If I was to tell you that any NFL franchise would do it, and I told you that the Cleveland Browns would be the one, would you be shocked? No. I think I'm going to leave it at that, guys. More will be revealed. (laughs) But you got something? It's an interesting third string that they got lined up, if they need it. Nick Mullins. Jacoby Brissett. Oh, Jacoby Brissett is there. No! See? (laughs) I know what you guys are trying to do to me, actually. (laughs) I know what you guys are trying to do, and you guys are trying to get a reaction out of me. What's going to happen is I'm going to point you guys back to a previous conversation that we had a month ago, maybe about a month ago. Signing Jacoby Brissett the day after you guys trade for Deshaun Watson told me everything. It told me everything. At the very least, the Cleveland Browns are expecting Deshaun Watson to be suspended for a portion of the season. How long? That remains to be seen. Anything else, Matt? I'm good. Hmm, I am too. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking.